This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out NUMAOutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery elevating the archery experience take a test drive with the matthews v331 or 27 at a local dealer near you vortex optics i've been partnered with vortex since 2010 this company is awesome they're american owned veteran owned they're based in wisconsin their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics accessories and apparel most of the apparel that i wear while training scouting and hanging out around the house is Vortex Wear. Go ahead and check it out, and if you want to save 20%, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE at checkout, and you'll save 20%. New from Vortex in 2021 is their tripods. The one I've been using in the backcountry is their Summit Carbon Tube, and their Radian Carbon, and it also has a ball leveling head, and it's perfect for rock solid shooting. There is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com.
Elk Shea Podcast, me, Dan the Fitness Man. What's up? Today, we're sitting down with Identical Twins. These guys operate the website identicaldraw.com as well as newhunter.org. Talking about Identical Twins, Thomas and Nathan. Uh, they're out of Nebraska. These guys are pretty hardcore whitetail hunters, but they also have reps in Colorado public land over the counter. They also work in the industry. They do digital media just like I do, uh, except for they're probably way better at photography and videography and younger and just faster and better. But anyways, great conversation. We're going to get to know about their story, most importantly about their new Hunter website, which is really cool about getting people started in the industry. Uh it's about getting people started into hunting proper with a good mentor, which is something I think everyone needs if they're first, you know, the barrier to entry to hunting is, it's difficult to navigate those waters without some help. And if you're a new hunter, a veteran hunter, this is a great podcast. We also have some interesting conversations about ethics versus what's legal, what's not, especially about technology as it continues to grow. We talk about getting into the hunting industry and what they do day to day. And we talk about some really good elk tactics. There's just a little bit of everything in here. Hope you enjoy. We appreciate your support. Without further ado, we're talking to Nathan and Thomas, Identical Twins from IdenticalDraw.com. Okay, we got the twins online. Yes. Yep, we're here. Twin bros. Mm -hmm. Where are you guys from? We're from Lincoln, Nebraska. It's home base for us. So, Lincoln, Nebraska. Are you guys having dry weather this summer, or are you getting any rain? Yeah, we're get, honestly we're getting pretty decent rain. Yeah, compared to the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm yeah. So I've only been to your guys's website, and that was about a week ago, and just snooped around. So I was like, I'll let you guys tell the story, but. Uh, identicaldraw.com you guys kind of have a cool thing going i wanted to hear more about that and get to know your guys story a little bit talk elk hunting at some point because that's just what we do uh i'm sure you guys crush whitetail and everything else too but uh what's identical draw so that's just our um outdoor media production company that we started um so we we work with a bunch of outdoor um brands partners sponsors and stuff and create content for them basically so content curators content creators digital media so what does that even mean what does that look like so i mean we'll work with like say like a vortex or something we'll get them we'll get them whatever they need whether it's a 15 second commercial or 50 images stuff like that so that's kind of what we do but we also have like a youtube um instagram stuff where we post a lot on the, those platforms we do we post a bunch of um, our hunts on our identical draw YouTube. And we also have, um, the whitetail side of things are, we have family property down in Kansas that we do a bunch of management stuff on. So we have a Kansas city land series. So we should be show like management episodes and then hunting episodes, stuff like that. And yeah. And so how long have you guys been at it, man? We started in 2017. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Who's older? Uh, Nate is. Yeah. <laughs> Nate dog's older by like minutes, seconds. No, hour 20. Oh, dude, you're, yeah, you're way ahead. Yeah, way ahead. And then Thomas came in uh, an hour later. Your poor mother. Do you guys have any other more siblings? Yeah, we've got an older sister and a younger brother. Okay. Now, working with a sibling on a media business, give me the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> um, it, 
is like I know you're looking for you're looking for the juice, but it is honestly really, uh, really nice. Like you can argue about things that um, maybe if you weren't as close with the person, um, you'd maybe just not talk about or kind of have some awkwardness where we just like throw it on the table. And I think it helps us get to the answer quicker and like what, what we want. Um, and yeah, we, if we do argue, it's just, uh, it's intense for a short <laughs> bit and then it's on to the next thing. So, um, Nate, what'd you say? It's, it's the same thing in the hunting field too. We are like, <laughs> okay. All the time. It's like, stop moving or you need to shut up or but it's like, it's just like any good buddy, you know? Um, it's just, yeah, you can, you can give it to them, but it's, it's, it's all out of love. <laughs> all right. So what do you guys like to shoot on for me? Like I'm talking stills and video. Do you guys are DSLRs or do you split it up? What are you guys shooting on? Our, our workhorse that really got us in this whole thing was a Canon 5d Mark four, just DSLR. Um, basically it, it had what we wanted with, I mean, you could shoot 4k on there and then you could also have really good pixels for image quality stuff. So that's that's the main thing but we've, we've picked up a few other things and of course you got to throw a couple gopros in there these days with all interesting mounts and stuff like that but yeah we've picked up a few pieces here and there got the old drone stuff like that um just for the the media side of things and yeah just picked up a few pieces of mainly canon stuff canon glass um we have one um panasonic that uh, Lumix that does our slow-mo work for us, but we're, we've been eyeing the Canon R5 lately. Not, not going to pull the trigger yet, but it's been tempting. Mm-hmm. It's always tempting. There's always something down the road there. Uh, who's the better, uh, drone pilot? Oh, I am. This is Nate speaking. I'm, I'm definitely, I've gotten a lot better, but you kind of, I just, I just flew it, it more early yeah. on and it just kind of gave me that edge. Yeah. He will never reach. It's kind of like playing a video game, really. It is. Yeah, people, I mean, the thing is funny, like when, when I fly it around, people I haven't seen them before, it's like, oh, it's got to be so complicated. I'm like, not really. These things are like way too easy to fly, way too smart. Um, I mean, they could basically fly, fly themselves half the time. So Background wise, you guys, definitely, you're Nebraska. You got deer, like you got big deer. You got mega deer and you're, you're neighboring other good states. But have either one of you elk hunted yet? Oh yeah. Both of us. Yeah. We've done it four years or five. Yeah. The last four years in a row or five years in a row, something like that. Just, uh, out in Colorado over the counter, busting our butts. So cool. I love that. Uh, Colorado's crazy hard. You know what I mean? Like just dealing with people and it's weird. Cause it's like they have two X the elk that any other state does, you know, but they also don't cap. Well, for now, they don't cap over-the-counter tags, so they'll just keep selling them. Uh, the prices are reasonable, but that's probably going to change. What you guys learn about Colorado those four or five years that you've gone? Um, and what I mean by that is, like, what was it really like there when it came to running into other people? Are you, like, literally sprinting after a bugle trying to get there first? Um just pressure. Like, I want to know, like, we'll call it pandemic hunters, especially last year, new hunters. What were the vibes? Yeah. So I guess we'll start off with the first year. The first year, um, we went early season 
and we were like just like let's get an elk tag and just go basically wander around the woods to see what this whole elk hunting thing's about and i mean we'd done our our vast amount of research as much as much as we could talk to as many people who we could and um that year we basically got super lucky um and i mean we were looking we're not looking to kill any big bull but on the like the third evening or something i we cow called uh a cow and uh a nice mature cow into like 18 yards and i shot her and that was that was our elk hunt year one <laughs> and it was super nice i wasn't gonna pass it up because it was um it was like a mile from the truck yeah not far at all um so that was yeah that that was nice so it was like it was easy on the pack outside of things we weren't it's not like we dropped like a giant bull eight miles deep where you just basically screwed it's just like okay really easy got elk meat on the table figured out with like walked around the woods for a few days kind of see what it was about um but the year after that i would say is probably the best elk hunting year we've ever had um we 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 weren't successful and we haven't been successful since that cow elk hunt and um but i did miss a bull that we bugled in basically um almost in that same valley as that that first year but um that was like the most responsive year we've ever had by far. And it was like the September, I don't know, we were there like 10th to the 20th or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the, really our strong days were like the 14th to the 16th, 17th in there. Um, yeah. First two years were noticeably different than the most recent two. Last year was unbelievable. Um, on the pressure side. On the pressure things. side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Just running dudes all the time. I did a different technique and I found a wallow that like, I knew that mo like a lot of people around like didn't know about. So I went the whole whitetail um, method on them and hung a tree stand and sat that for 10 days every morning, basically till noon, got back up there around three and just hung out the whole day. And it actually paid off quite a bit. I saw tons of elk. Um, and, but I was calling like every time there was a bull bugling near me, there was a dude, that I'd wave to in my tree stand just every single time. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it was nuts. And then Nate, Nate was uh, hunting with one of the new hunters we had. Yeah. Both, both times. I, Cause you, Thomas had a tag and then I didn't have a tag. So I was, I was the new hunter guide basically. And we hunted for that trip was like 10, 11 days. And I went eight days without seeing an elk. And during that time, I, I mean, I had bumped elk here and there, but like, I didn't have like a, a natural like elk experience basically. But during that time, um, the first few days, I mean, I'd call in like three or four dudes a day and it wasn't like I was hitting, I was like hammering the bugles. I mean, I was like barely talking, but if you made a peep, you had dudes on you. And so after that, I basically just buried the, the elk bugle and just was cow calling to see if, because I just, I was just going to call dudes. in if I hit the bugle ever, um, and we finally did later in, into that, that hunt, get into some bulls and stuff. Um, but you could tell it was just because, it was because of me, because yeah. I was on the bulls yeah. and I was on just this small little, um, hillside that was above some private ground. And, um, it, guys have to like go up and over to get to this hillside. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of had a, I uh, had that going for me. So I basically brought Nate and a new hunter up and we, I mean, we you had a new big bull. Yeah. Big bull. Yeah. Color. But yeah. So 
I mean, that's basically been the, the elk for the last four years. Uh, I mean, it's, we've had, we've called in bulls every, mm-hmm. the year before that, the third year um, we had a bull um, basically like circle around. Um, mm-hmm. We saw it at like probably four or 500 yards mm-hmm. circling around us and was in within 25 yards mm-hmm. um, just in Too thick brush, but really cool bull. I mean, we always have luck calling them in on that Colorado public, but mm-hmm. um you have to put in the days if you want that one or two encounters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if you squander any of those encounters or screw them up or make mistakes, I mean, it's kind of just welcome to elk hunting. So I guess how far are you guys from trailheads and how many trucks are parked at these trailheads? Yeah. Um, one nice thing is we, we have a uh, private land that butts up to, the national forest. We don't own it, but friends yeah. have a cabin that always lets like, elk hunt out of it. It's like six acres, maybe. Yeah. So we okay. always stay there and hunt out of there typically. Um, mm-hmm. but the trailheads nearby, um, I mean, if, if there's a parking lot, like you're going to have horse trailers, um, 15 trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're smaller, I mean, you're talking three, four trucks that just go to this. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a main gravel road. And I mean, during prime time, you're hitting a truck every yeah, I don't know, half mile to a mile, probably yeah. at least. Um, or just pulling off roads or yeah. something. Yeah, and I mean, we, yeah, it, it's it's public land hunting, and it's it's part of, like, what you've got to kind of learn to love. I think you just kind of have to appreciate it, but it has definitely been tough. And, I mean, those first few years when we did have those amazing encounters. And not very many dudes at all. Yeah, and not very many dudes. We, I mean, we just didn't know the thermals well enough. And those are the things that would, like, if, if we had the years we had early on, like this year, it'd be like, oh, we're going to, we're going to fill attack. But like the last few years, the, the last two years, at least the pressure has been so heavy um, that it's, it's been, it's been really hard. And it's still something we want to do because it's still an over the counter option. And I think honestly, over the counter options there, I, I think are dwindling yeah, really fast. This, our units so, in Colorado is got to, it's going to go here in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Go yeah. To so draw. basically we're changing up our, our approach this year, we're going to go early season hunt wallows like crazy. We're going to try to miss some of that pressure that happens during the rut. And we're just going to, we're going to hang out at wallows basically most of the day. So. Yeah. I love going early except for I hate Labor Day weekend. Cause like Labor Day weekend invites a lot of recreation and razors and four wheelers and dirt bikes camping. Uh, then you'll have like even rifle guys that they're, they're not up to bat till October. But they'll come scout around Labor Day weekend, get in the woods or whatever. Uh, in some states, like even in Idaho, if you have a rifle tag, a lot of times you can – it's not a choose-your-weapon state. It's mainly like, oh, okay, we'll give you the first week of archery and then the two weeks of rifle in October. So then those guys are out scouting with a bow in hand. Uh, the woods are crowded, what I'm saying is Labor Day. And that's the only downfall of going early is you better – Get what you need to get done before that weekend hits. If your state opens up late August, like Colorado, uh, or early September, what what day is Labor Day this year? We should look that up. I think it's like the fifth. Is it that? That sounds right. I'm gonna tell you right now. It's the sixth. Sixth. Yeah. So we got one, two, three, and a half good days until like it's gonna get crowded with recreation too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, but I like those first few days. Now, the bugling is usually not that good. Right. Which is why I would choose to hunt areas where I can at least hear um, 
maybe hear bugles from camp at night. So maybe backpack in and spike in a good area up high where you'll hear at night. Because uh, there are bulls piping off. Uh, and then the other thing is to get to somewhere where you can glass, run glass big time. And then possibly strike in transition in their feeding features or... If you're feeling ballsy, follow them to their bedroom and hang out. But um, I really like what you said there. I think it was Thomas who said, put the calls away. And if you put the bugle tube away, especially, and get the cow calls out. Uh, I've seen a lot of elk go the other way when I bugle. And it's may- maybe I'm just a shitty bugler. Uh, but ultimately, it's just how many times does an elk have to hear a synthetic bugle and then have an encounter that's negative, whether they get winded or see something that's not right. They start to add those things up, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Until the rut takes over, I guess. Right. I was going to actually ask you, so this area that we're hunting <clears throat> super, super heavy timber, unless you're like getting, I mean, above 11,000, you're not going to be gla- like glassing is basically a joke. Um, and then, with all, with all the pressure of the dudes, lack of calling, how, like, how would you approach that? Is it, is it like, are you looking at it like, Hey, I'm going to cover a lot of ground or is it, uh, and then also I want to know is like the wake up in the middle of the night and go listen for beagles. Like, is that something that like in heavily pressured areas, is that something that we should be doing? Um, I think that's definitely a pro- like an inverse proportion. So like if the hunting pressure goes down, my sleep goes up, you know, uh, but inversely, like if the hunting pressure is high, my sleep goes down because I'm really wanting to locate elk to hunt the next day. Uh, I'm allergic to just elk hiking, wandering around, trying to locate an elk for the day. I find it a lot more valuable to be on elk as soon as the daylight breaks. Cause you, you know, so if that means just waking up, most guys wake up, like your typical elk hunter wakes up in the morning, probably somewhere between 4.30 and 5 a.m. And there's always like exceptions. You know, some folks have a mega horse ride. So they're up at three wrangling horses and making breakfast. But most guys that are hunting out of a truck are up at 4.30 or 5. And then they're getting their stuff together, getting fed. And then they're allocating an hour to get to where they need to be. Uh, I would advocate to get up like at two or three and then get up high where you can hear away from water and creeks and stuff and just kind of drop pins, if you will, not like literally, but just kind of drop pins on where you hear elk bugle. And you could definitely do location bugles as well. And don't get too close in the dark. Don't bump them, but, and just listen and see where you can locate elk. And maybe you're running ridges, throwing bugles until you kind of get something located that sounds interesting and then you can hang out till daylight and then you know those elk are going to be on the move as soon as the daylight breaks they're going to be transitioning i don't know man it just depends on what vibe you're getting in the mountains like thick country like that i can't kill an elk just sneaking around in thick timber not going to happen i grew up hunting north idaho it's a it's an elk vocalization game um and because of that, the elk will come into you pretty close because they want to – elk are very visual. They want to see what's making that noise. And and you can kind of leverage that topography and, and terrain features against them, whereas I prefer to try to hunt more open country 
And so the elk vocalizations aren't that important. And if you do vocalize, your setups are way different because uh, in North Idaho, if I'm calling for you guys, I, I'd probably be 15, 20 yards away from me. Mm-hmm. If I was calling for you in like some of the higher alpine stuff that's open, I may be a hundred yards away from you trying to get those elk to come in and figuring out hang up spots is so much harder in open country because they have so many places they could stop and hang up to. And they're like, okay, I'm where I need to be to see this other bull, but I don't see anything. I'm out in thick country. I love it. It's like, nope, that's the hang up spot. Go set up right there. I'm going to call from here, you know. But a lot of times I think people when they're calling for like they're working as a team, like twin brothers working together, pretty cool. Uh, a lot of times the caller will be like, all right, uh, why don't you go set up and then I'll, you know, you set up wherever you think's good and then I'll try to call, bring the bull to you. I think that's a mistake. Mm. I think you need to identify as the caller where you're going to call from and then because you're calling from there where an elk's going to hang up at and that's where you put the shooter so i don't like the shooter deciding where to set up i like the caller does that make sense yeah it does make sense yeah cool yeah but calling's a it's a great tactic i just think it's overplayed in high pressure areas definitely if possible i would probably try to shut up and coyote that herd like in the mornings, just be underneath them with the thermals coming down and just parallel them and try to like wait for an opportunity to where maybe they take a break for a second. They start milling around when, once they get to their bedroom and the bull maybe is trying to scent check all his cows or fend off a satellite bull that's pestering. Those are kind of the opportunities where you can sneak in and strike. But other than that, like midday stuff. Yeah, you're going to have to set up in the bedroom and, and challenge a bull and push a bull around and see what's up. So tell me about the wallow setup, man. Like I've actually never killed an elk over a wallow. Um, this year I did help my daddy 65. We hiked in, dude, we hiked in a ladder stand and like cleared lanes on a really good wallow that I, that I, uh, a lot of, t- this is another thing I do is I put out trail cameras in areas that I'm not hunting that year. And I let them, I just leave them out for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come back in when, you know, especially nowadays, I think people should take note of that. Like, bro, I can't hunt Wyoming every year. Used to be able to, not anymore. You know, I heard stories of guys with two and two preference points putting in for the special Wyoming tag, which is $500 more for the same tag to quote unquote increase your odds and not drawing. That's a lot of hats, names in the hat. For Wyoming. So it wouldn't hurt if like, if I'm not going to hunt Wyoming and I got my spots, take a road trip, go sprinkle some cameras, leave them out for a year. Cause you know, you're not going to hunt that year. And then you can kind of like, you don't miss the year. You can kind of do some biology and look at the animal behavior. And I don't know I just did that in a neighboring state. I just put out a few trail cameras after total archery challenge. I don't even have a tag for that state. I just wanted to get my cameras in my spots and, and see what I miss out on this, this next year. Getting my dad set up on this wallow. I'm really excited for him. It's about, it's about a two mile hike from where he'll park. It's pretty bad hike, but he can take his time. And I just think if he punches a clock, like you guys did, 
he's he's going to get a shot opportunity on a mature bull. Uh, were you guys doing saddles or what were you doing for your setup? So I, um, I did the, just the classic hang on tree stand with sticks. Um, and was just hunting it as many hours of the day as possible. And I saw a lot more elk than Nate walking around the woods. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had that exact same mentality, Dan. I was like, if I sit this every single day for as many hours as I can, like I will have an opportunity. And sure enough, first evening I did. Um, I, I haven't killed an elk yet. Nate, Nate shot that cow. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to shoot a mature cow if I can get the opportunity. Um, and sure enough, like first, first, uh, first evening, I have a bunch of cows coming into this, um, this wallow and, I chose this wallow because like I said, like it's more hidden. There's a bunch of other wallows that uh, are on this other, like more popular peak around us. And people just like, there's like four tra trail cameras on a tree kind of situation, you know? Gotcha. Um, and they dry up really quick. So this one was almost, it's like almost more of a spring than a wallow, but it, it's kind of turned into a wallow. Um, there's just sign everywhere, but um yeah, cows came in um, that first evening. Unfortunately, I made uh, a liver shot, which liver shots and elk just don't work out. We tracked that cow. Um, I knew that the shot was a little bit back, so I left her that evening um, all through the night, came back in the morning and, and basically found blood for 200 yards and figured that she just kept going, you know? So, um but I just kept, I, I kept sitting that, um, stand and had other bulls bugle into, um, 50 yards, but just stuff in the way. Um, and like decent, like five by fives, five by sixes. And then I had a group of just spike bulls that you can't shoot in Colorado, but, um, they came in, um, I, and then that's, I was bugling back and forth quite a bit, a couple of days later with, uh, I could tell a big herd bull that's when I brought Nate and the new hunter up and we got within a hundred and fifty of him. And I mean, he's a big, he was a big, big, big public land bull. Um, would have been crazy. Uh, I think a big six by six. I, mm -hmm. I think Nate, you later bumped him, um, hunting that area later, but, um, yeah, he, I mean, hunting the wall paid off for sure. Like it's not as exciting as tramping around the mountains, but sometimes just sitting up and, cow calling every once in a while um is just a smart thing to do and i i, I liked it enough that we're going to try it again this early season so yeah i think one of the things that turned us on to doing that kind of method was the year i believe it was the year before <clears throat> we met a guy on the other peak that thomas was talking about with a bunch of wallows and a bunch of it, it gets way more traffic so we were just like we we're just going to go check it out see what the sign looked like and we had a camera up there and we met a guy that was like wanting to do the tree stand thing. And we just like, he was a super nice guy. We were like, Hey, if you're going to be here for a few days. You should just hang a tree in this area and hang out. And sure enough. So we kind of like X that spot off the map for our hunting. Cause we were like, he's probably going to be hanging out there a lot. Sure but, enough. He didn't but spend but time. We had, there. we had a trail came there. Yeah. We had a trail yeah. came there. And sure enough, he didn't spend time there. We pulled that card and there were bulls on that thing. Like crazy. Even with all the pressure, they were still hitting it. Like, early early morning um late evening and i mean there were some big bulls on that and so it was like wow like if if that dude would have sat there like basically morning and e even like if he would have gone back midday 
Um, if he would have sat morning evenings on that thing, he would have like had opportunities galore. So it's kind of like that man we're walking around and calling, we're getting an elk every once in a while, but like, it seems like this is a consistent thing. You might have some long, boring, hot hours out there, but it's going to be worth it because you're going to get your shot eventually. So that that's what's kind of put us on to this next thing of, Hey, if it's really pressure. We're just going to like basically set up shop. Yeah. So are you guys going to Colorado this year? Mm-hmm. You get it. Okay. Are you, how many stands are you going to bring? We're debating on if one of us is going to get a tag or two of us. Yeah. Um, so that'll and, depend either. I mean, yeah. either one set or two set basically. So. Okay. And then will you just create like a self-filming situation? And we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the U.S. and they're veteran known and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag, ready to drinks, or check out that new Flying Elk Roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kafaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kafaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to kafaru.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is the fastest downloading offline maps out there, as well as the most resilient, bulletproof. Not gonna crash on you when you need it most. I run tracking most days while elk hunting, and I found Onyx to be the most reliable hunting GPS app out there. Check it out today. And finally, Baku e-bikes. These are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters. This is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting, checking your tree stand trail cams, getting in and out quietly. I rock the mule. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. Yeah, yeah. If, like a swing arm or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's a lot of weight to haul in at altitude. Yeah, yeah it is. That that little uh, secret wallow we have. Um, it's basically an hour of just stair steppers. Like it is insane. After doing it for ten days, like I felt like I was just on like a next level of <laughs> in shape. Like my body was just <laughs> feeling it. So. What broadhead did you use on that cow? Oh, let me think about that. I think it was sick. Yeah, I used a sick broadhead fixed. Um, they were shooting, shooting good for me. I mean, what's a sick broadhead? I don't know if I've heard of that one yet. It's S I K. Is S I K? Okay. Yeah, uh, I think like Stephen Drake uses them. Um, they they do they do well. Um, I. I'm not sure if I'm going to shoot them this year. They came out, Sick came out with a different fixed broadhead that might have a little more cutting surface area um, that I might use. But yeah, I, I'm always, uh, I'm a, I'm a fixed broadhead guy. It was mainly. like with that elk, man, it was, it was a long few days. I mean, we spent a lot of time backtracking, <laughs> yeah. tracking. We had, 
a new hunter with us. And so did you get a pass through? Um, I, so I didn't pass all the way through, but I could see, I believe, I, no, I never did find the arrow, but I saw the, I saw blood coming out both sides, but the arrow was in. Mm, do you think that it broke off or do you think it stayed? I think it, I think it broke off is my guess. Okay. Cause a liver shot to me is a dead elk straight up. Shoot you straight. Like if you, if you hit that liver, that cow was not alive. He just didn't find her. Do you think that's what happened? Or do you think you just, I think that's definitely a possibility. Like we, we grid searched all over, you know, oh, but you know, that's how far the cow could go. So, so on a liver shot for me, like I've, I can remember one of, one of the bigger bulls I killed. The short story is that he had a lot of cows. I, I remember I was in the evening and there was, there was a big cliffed out section separated me from him and his cows and i just started hammering cow calls and i was just trying to get them really fired up and only had about an hour left of daylight and i had no intention of like going after him i just wanted to like establish some communication so i got him i actually got his cows to start cow calling back to me and of course he's ripping and i'm just cow calling and then i introduced a bugle after about 30 minutes of that Dude, I, I mean, I must have just said the right thing because he was just like, I don't know. All of a sudden, he just dropped straight down the mountain towards the bottom of the canyon where there's water. And I was like, oh, he's probably going to get a drink. Just left his cows. I can't, like, if there hadn't been cliffs, I would have moved right in on his cows and waited for him to come back up and check on his cows. That's a perfect tactic. But instead, I was, I 180 and I was like, I'm going to hike out of here. I'm going to leave him alone. He's very fired up tomorrow. He's dead. And I'm walking out and then I hear a bugle straight below me sound. And he had a pretty recognizable bugle, if you know what I mean. Like, oh, that was him. And I was like, did he just go all the way down and side hill over and come back up? And his bugle started getting closer and closer. So I answered one of them with my bugle and I looked down the mountain and I saw a nice little flat bench shelf. It was timbered, jammed down there, shut up knocked on and here he comes and he come all the way up and he stopped about I don't know your typical 90 100 yards out kind of a hang up spot he's totally looking for where I was at so I kind of pitched a small squilly bugle up the mountain as you know try to deflect that you know, I'm calling solo it's not easy but I pitched that sound behind me up the mountain it worked he just kind of started taking an angle and anyways he come to about 20 yards and I cow called stopped him full draw sent it thought I made a good shot um and then I watched him 180 and peel out of there and of course I'm cow calling trying to get him to stop so we don't run too far and, and I see him about 90 yards and he just kind of he's staggering around a little bit but he's not he's not falling over and it starts getting darker and I'm in thick timber so like it gets pretty dark in the timber faster than in, in the open country and I just remember glassing him for probably 15 minutes straight and he did not move a muscle. He just stood there like just sick. And then pretty soon I could not make him out anymore with my glass. So I had to back out like you guys did. Um, what I ended up doing was I ended up making it all the way back to my base camp and my dad uh, was asleep and I woke him up and was like, hey, I shot a bull, told him the story. He's like, yeah, liver shot probably. I think he's got enough time. Let's go get him. So we got back up there about four in the morning and he had gone about 20 more yards and laid down up against the snag and died. And when I did the autopsy, 
I didn't hit any lungs. I just totally, he was not, he was not broadside when I shot him. And I've had that happen before where they look broadside in the moment, but he was actually quartering too. So I, I hit basically all of his liver and exited out the guts. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I guess my point is they die just not as fast. Right. Yep. But I would have, man, that sucks. Yeah. The issue with me is my, the cow did the exact same thing, but 20 yards from my stand. Like that's where she hung out. And I stayed as still as possible, waited, waited, waited for it to get dark even. And, but I had to like, I wasn't going to sleep in that tree stand. So as I was coming down, like she must, like, she obviously like heard something. And then as soon as you bump a injured elk, like she probably didn't stop for like 10 miles. So, um, I would, yeah, I, I think it would have been a different outcome if she trotted 150 yards off hundred yards and just hung out there. Um, I bet she would have just bedded down and died and it would have been easy recovery later, but yeah, she decided just to like go like 10 yards and stop and stand there. The, the blood we were following was interesting. I mean, it was obviously like a livery color for sure, but it was, I mean, it was just, it was just pricks. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. it was tough just tracking it. I mean, so tough just with probably with that arrow in it yeah in her still yeah that makes sense they're tough animals bulls and cows they're just tough animals their hides thick that's why i I just haven't had a lot of luck with mechanicals or expandables on elk kind of prefer and i like i like those cut on cut on contact two blades for penetration but i also don't like this the tiny little flap of a hole they leave you know even with bleeders so I've always been kind of like a three or four blade fixed guy uh, with at least like an inch and 16th or inch and three sixteenths diameter cutting, preferably even chisel tip. So you can kind of get through bone or whatever. My buddy Bill from Iron Will, I'm begging him to make a three blade. He's got really good broadheads. Have you guys ever shot Iron Wills? I don't think so. Yeah, they're they're pretty pricey, but they are probably the most lethal when it comes to penetration broadheads all titanium it's a hundred bucks for a three pack man it's it's not cheap yeah but uh i've been begging him to make a three blade with the same material so we'll see if he does that for maybe next year but i'll stay on him but um i wanted to ask you guys about you said new hunter and i know you guys have like this thing that you do that needs to be publicized because it's freaking cool you guys have like this – well, you have to tell me about it, but you have like a separate website off of your identicaldraw.com where you have like this newhunter.org and you kind of have the system where people can enter to be mentored by you or s- somebody from your posse. And I need to know about that because it's the coolest thing I've heard of. And it's actually why I brought you guys on today is I really want to learn about it. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> newhunter.org basically stemmed from our fall last year where um, we we went to an ATA meeting basically, that, which started the whole thing. And everybody was talking about what we can do to involve new hunters. And we, uh, we thought it was a good meeting, but like there was like no action really came from it after that. Um, so we were like, what are we going to actually do that has an impact uh, with, with new hunters? And we decided we're just going to dedicate our fall to getting people out and see, see what comes from it. So we, uh, opened up applications last summer and had probably 350 new hunters apply to hunt with us. Um, 
it was overwhelming. Like the amount of emails we had to read. Um, I like afterwards, um, I just realized like so many of these new hunters like wanted to get into hunting because podcasts like this podcasts, like meat eater, Joe Rogan. Um, of course the COVID scare, like people were seeing grocery stores just empty out. And so we selected, um, I think 11, we eventually had 11 of those new hunters come with us. We had more planned, but I think with COVID some back, like it just didn't work out. So we had 11 hunts, um, started off with South Dakota antelope, uh, first stock ever. Nate was with the new hunter who, uh, just drilled an antelope archery equipment, 60 yards, basically like for those first few hunts, they were like Western hunts where like archery, like know-how was like at the top of the list. Yeah. We selected new hunters that had been shooting archery Mm -hmm. equipment quite a bit, but had never actually gone on a hunt or anything. They were just into 3d shooting. So yeah, the first, um, the antelope hunt, we were successful. Um, they also had a tag and ended up shooting uh, a doe at the end of that trip. And then we went straight to Nebraska Sandhill mule deer where, um, our new hunters had, um, a lot of encounters with awesome, big, some velvet mule deer, some not, but, um, that's where, uh, Josh Lou was on that hunt who connected us. Um, gotcha. And then we went, we're home for a couple of days and went on this Colorado elk hunt, um, for 10 days, no success, but each new hunter saw saw some milk at least yeah and then the one of the new hunters that we had on that hunt uh was he 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 stayed around and hunted in the general area of a few miles for the the uh, next few days and i'm just out by himself and he we we passed him one time and we stopped and he was like freaking i was like i had a bull at like 15 yards staring at me in the face this morning so it was like awesome to see like that we had given them enough know-how and enough confidence to go out there and do it and have awesome experience and stuff after afterwards. But yeah. So and then the rest of the hunts were whitetail hunts and we actually had pretty good success. Um, well, we killed three, three whitetails on mm-hmm. each hunt, each hunting weekend had success. So that was, that was awesome. Um, all of our hunters after going out with us continued to hunt um, either that fall or uh, turkey hunted in the spring, which is awesome to see like a hundred percent retention rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, after talking to so many new hunters, the ones we went hunting with, but also the ones we just read emails from, like we saw the need to finding like the need to find a mentor was there. And it was just really difficult for people. Like I, I can relate to it even like going up to a hunter and asking them to like, Hey, can I come with you is a huge daunting task. Um, so we basically created newhunter.org. Uh, we've been building it since January, basically, um, just released it a couple weeks ago, but basically you, you, uh, create a membership and it's free, completely free. And we have mentors right now. What would you say, Nate? At least 35 States have, right, have at least one mentor. Um, and we, uh, vetted all these mentors. Um, so we know that they're, most likely really good, um, mentor to be able to help get these new hunters, uh, on their first hunt. And we've had like tons of success since dropping it. I don't even know how many mentors I've reached out. Like, Hey, I had like one or two new hunters already reach out and they've been on the site for like 12 hours. Like new hunters are really looking for that person to help them get into it and help understand, um, just all that goes into hunting. So it's been, 
awesome couple of weeks yeah. of basically every, I mean, on the website, every, every mentor has a little bio about themselves, a picture and contact information. So it's not like we're matching them up. It's like, if you're a new hunter on there, you can go to whichever mentor you want, hopefully in your state and reach out to them that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's, and there's, there's awesome discounts for mentors too. We got a lot of our partners are willing to give these mentors who are sacrificing their time with new hunters. Um, they're getting just awesome discounts from Vortex, First Light, Onyx. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's a lot besides the perk of just being with a new hunter the first time they walk up on an animal they shot, which is just like an un- unbelievable feeling um, that you helped with that process. Um, they also get some awesome discounts. And there's also discounts for just members, uh, whether you're a mentor or a new hunter that creates a membership. Um, as soon as you get in that mentor portal, it's called, um, you're just, you see some discounts there too on awesome brands. So, um, yeah, there's, it's a free website. Um, there's other knowledge, um, different tabs on that website that you can check out. So it's been, uh, been awesome. We, uh, are also accepting applications just to hunt with me and Nate this fall already got a couple of good ones. We're doing some whitetail hunts. So, and some, uh, upland game later in the year. So yeah, that's basically the rundown. Okay. So from here, you said you go in, get a membership free to do you guys connect them with the appropriate state. There's a video submission. Why are you guys doing this? Like that's a lot of energy and effort. You are not getting paid for this. Like, what is your why? I, I usually backtrack it to um, what would my life be like if I didn't have my dad introduce me to hunting? And like, I can't even imagine it, honestly, because like the outdoors, probably like you two had, I mean, it's cons- it, it consumes like our daily lives. And I can't imagine if I didn't have that. And so basically we just want to have a resource on here that, even if it impacts only one person and gets them outdoor and gets them like has them basically creates a love in them that we have for it. I mean, that's all we want to do. Like we straight up, we've had people say, you guys are way behind on this. Like there's other people that can do this. Like you guys don't have enough money. It's like, I don't honestly care at all. Like all I care about is if we can get one new person out there that can create a love for being outdoors, a love for harvesting their own food and that whole process of figuring out this, this like outdoor pursuit, then I'm all, I'm all about it. So, I mean, that's basically it. We just, we've seen, especially this last fall, we've seen the fire and like the love that people have for it and just the impact it has on their whole life. And I mean, once you see that, you can't really unsee it. It's just too good. It's too amazing. And that, yeah, that's basically the the inspiration for it. Mm, I love, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I wanted to, to leverage this platform to basically get more awareness of what you guys are up to. Cause everybody knows that guy, that girl that's like, Oh, well I want to get into hunting. And you're like, man, yeah, everybody says that. So here is an actionable way for you to prove that you really want to get into it. And it's a pretty damn good way to get started, to get some proper mentorship. I know that my dad mentored me and then the elk, mentored me when it came to elk hunting i learned from the school of hard knocks of making all the mistakes and uh it's just you can change somebody's life i know that hunting's changed my life no joke um well i wanted to finish guys with a little bit more of whitetail so believe it or not i'm from washington state but i do love whitetail hunting 
quite a bit. Um, you guys are in Nebraska. You got Kansas right there next to you, obviously. Um, let's talk about first and foremost. Are you guys farm boys? Are you, do you have land? Do you lease land? Do you drive tractors and hang cameras and put your plots in? Like, where are you at on your journey for whitetail hunting based out of Nebraska? So I, like growing up, I felt like we were like the only family in Nebraska, like that didn't have like farming grandparents or something. So like right off the bat, it was tough. But the thing that we had was like my dad, he had um, access, like just friends that would let us access to hunt um, their property. But yeah, like just, as far as just, just like, private property in Nebraska. Yeah, just as far as like the farming side, no. Like, like don't like we've driven a tractor, like I can count on like a hand how many times. And it's like been like through owning the, pro the Kansas property, we've worked with the farmer really closely. And like, that's been like the journey of starting to figure out all of that stuff. So we've helped like do the food plots and things like that. But as far as whitetail, like our early days were just like, we had permission um, and we would just go hang stands, hang trail cameras, do that thing. We thought yeah. we were doing a bunch of work. It's like, just, Oh, in yeah. the summer, we're going to hang a few stands, the trail cameras, man. We are so prepared, but like after owning this Kansas property, I mean, now we're doing timber work to work on bedding. We're uh, doing these food plots during this time. And I mean, just gone off the deep end basically, but no, like the farming, not, not in the background, not like, not really in like the last few generations of the family. It seems like, I mean, it's just, I don't know that the whole hunting thing came from like my dad's side, but they were like, they were pheasant. They, he was born in winter, South Dakota pheasant capital of the world and so i mean they were all they were all pheasant stuff his 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 brother did some deer hunting but like i was me nate like i was the one that got the family into white till hunting basically so that's where the this, the whole line started there yeah i'd say we considered ourselves pretty hardcore white tail hunters before we had this kansas property but um now we're like addicts like it's consumes our mind um uh, we spend more days managing the ground probably than we do hunting it, even though we hunt that ground probably, I don't know, 30, 30 days, at least 30, 40 days, uh, during the fall from September to December. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, whitetails are our love. We also love mule deer hunting and elk hunting, but it, whitetails where the, where's the, where the heart's at. Mm -hmm. So you, your, your Kansas ground, is it leased? You said, no, we, we, uh, it's ours. Yeah. You bought it. it. Yeah, yep. 80 acres, Northeast Kansas, mainly, okay. mainly timber, but there's a few open areas. We've, we've done some work and we've got, we've got about three little food plots on there. I mean, like two, like quarter acre, basically little things. And then we've got like a, a three acre plot on there as well. So how many cameras do you run on 80 acres? What do we got right now? When we peak, it's like eight or nine. Um, we have five cell cameras and then a couple non-cell that we just kind of just leave out for the year i'd or... say our average is probably like five to six maybe yeah running so how long have you guys been running cell phone trail cams reason i ask is i just put out my first four or five uh about 10 hours from where i live and um i don't know i'm i, I keep it real here i i feel guilty a little bit like i i feel a little guilt like i'm getting texts why we're doing this podcast right now i'm like oh Thank you very much. Antelope just crossed the uh, right in front of my camera. That's the third time at 930 in the morning. Noted. You know what I mean? Like uh, I'm running spy points. Uh, those micro LTEs, they're pretty They're pretty cheap. The, the plan's pretty easy. You can, you, the transmission's 
instantaneous. And then if you want the full high def video, you can or high def picture, you get a certain allotment. And if you need more, you can buy more. And so I can download high res photos if I need to. But to be honest, like the non high res photos tell me what I need to know. I'm looking for who's who in the zoo and the timestamp. Um, how long have you guys been running those and, and which ones are you using? We've been running three years, maybe. I think it's two. Two, two years. I think two seasons. Two. two uh, this will be our third season. Oh yeah. We had them the first mm -hmm. year. Um, and we use Spartan cameras um, and we've had good luck with them. We get service on the most, most spots on our property, but yeah, I completely agree uh, with the ethical debate there. If, to be honest, like if tomorrow, like the Midwest or wherever banned like cell camps, I wouldn't be like super upset because I think it, it takes away a little bit from the whole, like the learning aspect. Um, and I don't know, there's something fun about pulling a card that you haven't seen photos from uh, for a month or two. And you really just have to go off of deer behavior time of the year and stuff um, versus getting cell picks. Um, and yeah. I mean, so. I think they're honestly, I mean, they're addicting and I think they're incredible tools, but I think they can easily be just abused. Like, I mean, is if like the, the whole fair chase debate is something is honestly a good conversation. Like Arizona just did away with full trail cam use, which I think is pretty, pretty incredible. Um, I'm surprised that it wasn't like a lesser um, rule, like just no use during season um, year round is pretty, pretty crazy. I wouldn't like that, but, um, you, the thing is like, you can, you can get delayed images and stuff like that, which you got, you, I feel like you basically need to be doing during the season. Um, I mean, it's not mandatory or nothing, but it's like, it's yeah. If, if you're in the tree stand and you're getting images from, I mean, especially 80 acres, man, when a buck walks on there, there's, you basically know where yeah, things I mean, are going to go. We've it's like, tough. we don't go out to the stand because we've get, we're getting picks, but we have been in the stand and then gotten picks and we're like, mm -hmm. like, is this fair? Like mm -hmm. we, I mean, there's, I would definitely listen to the bait that that's not fair. I mean, even though we're already doing what we were doing without these trail cam picks, but we know where that deer is at, at the exact minute. So, um, yeah, I could see, I could see cell cams being a thing in the past and not too far away, honestly. For me, for the time being, I'm going to run them where I can. Uh, especially for like places where like I'm letting these, it's not like they're just down the road where I can, oh, I got a, a bull just came through the meadow, pick up a rifle and drive there real quick and shoot it, you know, like I'm running them 10 hours away and it's kind of, it's kind of nice, but do I need them? No, obviously look at my history. I, I've never used them before, so they're, they're not mandatory. They're sure pretty handy though. I'm not going to lie. So as long as they are legal. I'm going to use them where I get cell phone service straight up. Um, especially like, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, I'd be interested in your guys' opinion, but like I've had so many trail cameras stolen that it's a, it's a mystery to me why I still run cameras. I think it's, I'm just addicted to it. I love it. Um, I got hard drives just full of biology and information. And I find that really important to understanding the animals and their behavior. But I've also gotten, like, like last year it was six cameras stolen and I had a really bad year two years ago where somebody kind of figured out my trail cam line and they brought, 
they must have had like a portable sawzall battery operated one because like all my stuff was in boxes i used tree pegs i got them up high pointing down lock box and they just sawzall the back of the screws and these were pretty big lags so you can keep honest thieves honest but like when you have next level thieves like that that wouldn't that wouldn't hurt because those were like pretty expensive trail cameras and they were on video mode and they had been soaking for a while and anyways if you guys think cell phone trail cameras deter theft because they know if they get caught on that picture it's to the user's phone immediately or do you think they're like i don't know what's your guys' thoughts i think it does a little bit i mean First off, that's just pure evil what happened to you. That's, <laughs> that is terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it does. We like make it known. Like we people, it is not like we have had people comment like in nowhere 80 is. We have people hunt a piece of public that's within two miles because they know that our 80s in the area. And we know that they're hunting it because they've watched our land series, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't love those situations, but we make it very known. Like we have cell cams like all over our property um like on, on our youtube series and stuff but i i do like it safety wise and it's um, nice because man we have good really good relationships with our neighbors and yeah we're not we're i mean we're a few hours away from it in in uh, nebraska and so if we see somebody down there we've i've got like three numbers right now that i can just be like hey go check out the property and it's i mean you can't beat that and especially now we have we have a, a little shed down there too so we've got some around that area and it's yes i mean yeah, it's mainly used for deer hunting, but there is a large percentage of why I like having them up for the security reasons. Yeah, no, I knew I knew you guys would have good takes on that. So I guess we'll see what the future holds on those. But ultimately, I always try to add up all the like when I hung out cameras a couple days ago. That's ten hours in my truck one way. That's two Phillips. And thanks to Joe Biden, that's like a couple hundred bucks and just gas money. And then think about the 10 hours plus the hours in the field. That's all time away from work and family, most importantly. Plus the cost of the camera, the lockbox, the lock, the SD card, the lithium batteries, the fact that I formatted the card on a computer, the fact that I updated the firmware and tested. Like it's more than just stealing a camera, man. Like if I catch you, and uh, I don't go to jail for hurting you, I'm going to send you an invoice for all that stuff, and it's going to cost you way more. Not that they would pay it, but like if I did or was able to invoice you for stealing my camera, it's more than the 120 bucks for just the camera. You know what I mean? It's stuff that I can't – my time and energy, my most valuable commodities you've stolen from me. And you can also go do the same thing I did and put a camera right next to mine. I have no problem with that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Why do we steal trail cameras from each other? It's it, So do you think it's other hunters or do you think it's somebody that's just flipping those cameras and selling them? I've always assumed it's hunters because I hunt public land. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a vibe where this is my public land hunting spot, which is – that's a dichotomy. That's like a, that's not even a, that's not a thing, you know? So I do think it's a lot of, I've always assumed that it's other hunters that don't want you in their spot or finding out the information in that spot. And I don't think non-hunters would be in some of those places where those cameras are. I don't know why any human would other than you're trying to kill an elk. Yeah. How about you guys? Have you had any stolen? 
we have had a lot of luck and never have um good had any cameras stolen even on public land that's um, good yeah yeah no well i think overall when hunters decide to be united we won't be divided and and furthermore like you guys bringing new hunters in and mentoring them that's where ethics are taught mm-hmm. you don't you know whether it's legal or not legal there is a line between ethical and not ethical and that's really probably boils down to your upbringing and who mentored you yeah definitely and so that's why i brought up like uh the trail cameras the cell phone cameras i don't know if they're ethical and i don't i really don't i don't think it would be ethical to see a picture come in of a nearby area and that you were able to like hop in your motorized vehicle drive there and shoot it I don't believe that to be fair chase per se. And I always kind of look to Pope and Young Club, actually. They they stay on top of fair chase parameters or whatever. So if you didn't have a mentor to or the right mentor, you could always look to Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett Clubs. They do a pretty good job of kind of outlining um, some good ethical standards for hunters uh, and then go from there. And it is kind of weird, though, right? Some things are legal but aren't ethical. Can you guys think of any other examples? Yeah, that's an interesting debate there uh, with some things. I'm trying to think. Um, you got, I mean, you got to think. I mean, even like with how the rifles are these days. I mean, if you get a rifle, and I mean, I, I think I always think about it with like shot distance. I'm like, how much? It, I mean, I've heard dudes like I know a guy that I mean, they took a shot at an elk at was it 900? It was like around 800 yards, something like that. And I'm like, um, legal yeah ethical i think that's far from ethical (laughs) and i'm like is that at that point i'm like are you hunting that animal like does that animal even have a chance um and so like i I feel like that's kind of in that boat where it's like yeah you can do those things is it is it hunting in my mind i'm like uh kind of tottering on that line (laughs) it's yeah i mean it's to each teach their own like uh, i got a buddy who's a sniper he competes prc and an 800 yard shot on the elk that's a dead elk yeah. You know, obviously if there's not erratic winds, that's a dead elk. Um, in fact, he helped me set up my 6.5 Creedmoor and I had never, like we just threw the scope on. He had already built the loads. We, we, he zeroed it in right there in his shop at a hundred yards. And then we went out to his range. I took four shots with that gun, two at a thousand, one at 750 and one at 350. I hit steel every shot. Mm-hmm. I Dude, I haven't picked up a rifle since, uh, uh, 2001 when I killed my first elk with a rifle. So 19 years later, I pick up a rifle that's super doped and I'm hitting still steel at four shots and I'm not that good at shooting guns. Um, so the equipment, the technology is there to do that kind of stuff. It's just like, we don't know how much time somebody's put in behind the gun. Yeah. And it's, it's what you're looking for in a hunt. And what are you looking for in a hunt for me? And this just kind of goes down the line. Like, let's say your average rifle hunter sees an elk between three or 400 yards. That's a dead elk, right? And then as soon as you and I were compound bow hunters, as soon as we see that elk at three or 400 yards, our hunt just began. And when we get to, I don't know what your guys' comfortable ranges. Mine's 60 and under is what I prefer. And 40 and under, even better. Uh, when I get to 60 yards, you know, I can make a good ethical shot. But a traditional hunter with traditional equipment, once they get to 60 yards, their hunt has just started. They got to cut the distance in half to 30. 
And so I try not to poop on anybody really per se, but I think this stuff's good to talk about, you know? I was also thinking those Garmin zero, um, sites, those, uh, compound bow sites that yeah. push and range. I mean, it definitely takes a, a lot of movement out in those close yards when you'd otherwise be pulling up a range finder and stuff. Um, there's, I mean, there's probably a reason that they're not legal in what most of the states, right? There's, they're legal in, in some states, but. The only states I know they're legal of out West is I think Utah and Arizona. The rest they're not. I'm pretty sure. Are they legal in Nebraska or Kansas? I believe they are. I think so. Yeah. I actually have one. They sent one to me in kind of hopes that I would do a YouTube video on it. And I'll be honest, it's been in the box at the shop. I left it at the shop. I still haven't done a video on it. I just don't know if I want to even stir that pot because I know I probably won't use one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for you, me, you need to have two setups because you've got your electronic site and then your non-electronic site. Yeah. And, and I just don't really want to, to deal with the comments in the, in the YouTube. Um, but I think it's a cool idea. Uh, I think it'd be fun to have on a bow just for fun, but I don't know if I'd hunt with it. The other thing I'm going to ask you guys, I'll end with this is like, so in my state of Washington, we're allowed to bait for deer and elk. A couple years ago, they had to change the rule to like, it was no more than 10 gallons of bait on the ground when you're hunting. So I don't, it's pretty gray. Like, well, I put 10 gallons out last night of apples. I don't know if all those apples are, have been consumed. I'm heading back to the stand. Do I bring seven and a half? If I show up and all the apples haven't been touched, do I have to leave the, I mean, it's like, it's very, but the premise was there were some outfitters in central Washington that were literally bringing truckloads of apples into mule deer country, dumping them out and having a pretty successful operation. So, um, I personally, I love baiting for whitetails in Washington. I hunt mountain bucks where there is no ag ground and I didn't even kill a buck this year. I did not even shoot a whitetail buck in 2020. I baited the crap out of it. I had deer come in. I never had a mature buck that I wanted to shoot. So it's no guarantee. But um, I've just never had an issue with it per se. But some people freak out. What's your guys' thoughts? Like, are food plots baiting per se? Or is it more like just seeing a pile of corn in, in a tree stand like just turns people off? What is it about baiting? Because I know you can bait in Kansas. Yeah, Kansas is one of those last last baiting states for whitetails. You can you can bait during the season, and we we us personally we will put out like mineral and supplement um, through like from January time frame to like probably like this time frame, like July August. We usually stop and we let the feeders just empty. We don't touch them through the season. Um, so you, I mean, there's usually no bait on the property that we hunt for whitetails during the season. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like I could totally see where like, Hey, um, our clover plots that we have, I mean, we get more action on those than we do sometimes. I mean, our feeders. So it's like, yeah, where's, where's the line. And I think a lot of it is just like how it looks. <laughs> I, I do think it just is like a visual thing, just like putting a pile of corn out there and shooting a deer over. I, I just don't think a lot of people like just sit well with that. It's like, that's not, that's not fair to the animal things like that, but I don't know. It's, it's on, it's on the line, especially with all, I mean, the whole nother realm was the whole CWD thing about it. I mean, that's people go crazy about that whole side of it too, but. Well, I mean, it's something to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. definitely. If I was hunting like mountain ground for whitetails, like 
when baiting is legal, like I would definitely like consider that just because I mean, that's a lot more difficult hunt than like Kansas when we already have food plots. We just don't, we don't really see the need for baiting um, because um, we have a highly managed ground and we, I kind of just want to see how those deer work um, naturally just like through the property and uh, whatnot. And the best time to hunt them is for us. We love hunting them. I mean, that late October, early November stuff. So they don't really care about a pile of feed during that time either, but I, I wouldn't say we were against it or um, for, I, I mean, mean yeah, just... it's, it's an interesting concept. Like how is a pile of corn different than a few acre corn plot? I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to put up lines on that stuff. Oh, that was my son. Hi, Tristan. <laughs> no, not yet. I'm almost done. Wait for me. That's my son. He's five. He's crazy. Um, okay, so the Utah state of Utah, they've allowed baiting for deer and elk for years. They just came out with rules. And, dude, those rules, I don't know if you got a chance to look into those, but, man, they're interesting. So, like, the Ponsagant units, like these southwestern parts of Utah – Big mule deer for years and years. Guys have just baited the crap out of them, sat in ground blinds. And there's, it's just not really spot and stock country anyways. And they're killing giants. So Utah banned that. And they got some rules in there, man. And I, and I was just reading through some of those rules. And I'm not coming across as a subject matter expert here. I'm just kind of it's, – it's, it's along the lines of what we talked about is like you can put out salt, mineral – bait whatever you want on the ground but you cannot hunt like i think it's a radius of 50 yards or something from that spot and there's a bunch of nuance like written in there to like if you change the animal's behavior it's considered baiting and so there's some sort of like magic line where you can be like 51 yards away and that doesn't just ma like mean like if i dumped salt out and I had trail cameras running and I'm just trying to figure out who's who in the zoo and it's hunting season and you guys stumble upon that. You too cannot hunt within 50 yards because that's like a, something's been dropped down on there. But then they, you have these rules in there where like established, like they say there's cattle being leased out on public land, like BLM or something. And the ranchers got a big salt block for the cows to go to like that's legal. So it's like, like these things in hunting and get me thinking like, we can die by a thousand cuts. These razor blade cuts start with the smallest nuancey thing of let's ban cell phone trail cameras. Let's ban all cell let's ban all trail cameras. Let's ban baiting. Let's ban that's um, ban baiting for bears. Let's ban hound hunting for bears. Well, while we're at it, let's ban hound hunting for cougars. And they just kind of slowly so. I am going to finish with this, and this is a little bit of soapbox. I know that we have to manage that, like that give and take with technology. Completely get it. But I do want us to slowly work through these steps to not like just ban every little thing because maybe we disagree on ethics. You know, like the long range guy, the guy baiting, the guy doing a food plot, the guy, like everyone's kind of got their thing. And at the end of the day, I just want hunting to be here for everybody. And, and it's really, we're in interesting times, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that definitely, I think that's a great point. Everybody, 
everybody has their niche and do it does it for their reason and stuff and there's no no reason that we should be telling other people how how to be doing it i mean i i was gonna i was gonna add that i mean as far as like the uh the cell cams like as far as i mean we get people that have issues with them and stuff and like we hunted like again 30 40 years uh or 30 30 40 days last year on the 80 i mean neither of us killed buck and we got we have cell cams on that thing so it's like if you i mean at, at times they can be definitely taken advantage of but if you use them right i mean it, it might give you a little edge but i think it i think it has still like a pretty level playing field and i mean yeah there's I love to see like the, the new technologies and things like that, like come up because it's like how the human race basically has expanded and done so well, but it's like, it's also, it's also interesting whether we're going to like, these things are going to be held onto or, or not, but yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to see, um, guys, I appreciate your time. Um, when we, we get you on the podcast, like this is your full-time job. You guys are hundred percent digital media, correct? Yeah, this is, we, we used to have like some part-time jobs, but right now we're like, we're basically weaning those off right now because this is, this is basically the, the full-time gig for us. So, yeah. Tell everybody how they can be like you, because there's a lot of people that want your job and maybe they want mine. And I say, come and take it because it can suck, but through hard work, you can do anything you want. And, uh, every day is a vacation, man. I I love my occupation. <laughs> so, what do you, what do you guys have advice for folks that want to maybe get into the industry? Uh, they want to snap photos and videos and edit and work 17, 18 hours a day so they don't work for anyone else. Yep. Yeah. I would say um, if you want, especially the media side, drop money on good gear. I would say. I mean, that's the only thing that catapulted us. We we were straight up, right up. Like one of the first things we did was we bought some Canon. Canon equipment, Canon cameras, Canon glass. And we just like, we weren't going to like be and like mediocre. Say, like we, we took a loan from our parents. Like mm-hmm. that's expensive equipment. If you yeah. can't do that, I don't know, like mow lawns for free for whatever, you know, like figure out a way to get the money up front, have the equipment and then let it pay itself off later on. Like we, 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 we just paid them off later, you know? So, um, and then yeah. it just basically hustle. I would yeah. say that's the, that's the only thing that we've done right besides getting some good gear figuring it out doing it well just I, I think find your thing and just go as hard in the paint as you possibly can spend every waking hour like consume as much of the competitor stuff competitor quote unquote. um i think we're all as outdoor folk we're all in this this big world together and we shouldn't be like fighting each other through it i think it just like man figure out what you do really well what you really enjoy and just like do it the best possible way and just like keep at it it's like it's it's not going to be like an over the night thing. I don't, I don't think for a lot of people, I think it's like a slow bleed kind of, so yeah. just, just keep, keep ticking at I'd it. I'd say the reason we've, we're still here and I found a little success is just because during the low moments, like we didn't just give up and like hang it up. We just decided to just keep grinding it out. Even when, um, like things were slow or we, uh, we just weren't moving as fast as we'd like, you know, we just kept, kept hanging on and we've slowly just grown in this audience and are slowly uh just getting more people to pay attention to us so i think i think also to add would be be maybe this is obvious be a good person like the the relationships we have had with people in the outdoor industry like it's the only reason we're here and i mean it's like a josh connecting us and then we can get connected with other people and it's like 
I think if you're a good selfless person that like truly wants the best for others, um, wants the best for the people you work with, if you're not just like the, the last thing we did getting into the industry was like, Hey, Vortex, um, we'll do work for you, but we need this X money. It was like, Hey, we would love to partner with you. Whatever that looks like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> like, it's like, I think people like have these certain things that they want, but you have to like, you have to go at it just like being selfless, being thankful and creating relationships with really good people. And I think it'll get you where you want to go. We're going to end it on that. Identicaldraw.com, Identical Twins. They also have newhunters.org. You guys have a YouTube channel, Identical Draw. You have a podcast and your Instagram handle is what? Identical Draw. Piece of cake. Guys, appreciate your time. Right now, we're just a couple days out from elk season. All your hard work. I hope you're coasting into September. Separation was in the preparation. Now it's time to execute. God bless you all. Appreciate your support. We'll catch you on the next one. Well, wasn't that a good episode? Twins, boys, I appreciate your time. That was a fun conversation, a thoughtful conversation. And uh, I really liked what you guys had to say especially when it came to elk hunting, getting like a Midwestern perspective coming out West. Uh, really cool, really valuable. NUMA Outdoors discount code ELKSHAPE20 will save 20%. We got the new Palisades Puffy, the Pursuit Pant, a whole new uh, Merino mix with synthetic, super dope stuff, very affordable. I think it's some of the best looking camo out there. Just my personal opinion. Elk Shape Camps 2022, only four locations. Pre-sale ends August 31st. 2021 so get registered you're going to save a couple hundred bucks on registration i'm bringing an army a swath of subject matter experts more than i've ever brought before mark Livesey, jason phelps dirk durham joel turner e-scouting fitness nutrition shot execution oh did i mention i'm bringing mfjj if you don't know who that is look them up on our youtube channel uh, if you get signed up for the pre-sale you're going to be entered to win a lifetime elite membership with on x also, if you're going to Onyx, use the discount code Elkshape to save 20% on Elite Membership or win the Lifetime one by signing up for Elkshape Camp. Uh, we're going to give away a 22 Colorado Elk Tag, public land, from Phelps. He's going to include some waypoints, no joke. And if he doesn't, I will. I got a few that are pretty good. A one-year, a six-month, and a three-month subscription to Black Rifle Coffee Club. I love being a member of Coffee Club. I love getting new coffees every month to try. If you're not a subscriber and you're not coming to Elk Shape Camp, use discount code ELKSHAPE, save 15% on your subscription. Uh, we're giving away a 2022 Matthews bow. Uh, I know a little bit about that bow. It's pretty stinking dope. $50 store credit to BlackOvis.com, which also use your discount code ELKSHAPE, save 10% at BlackOvis.com. You're going to get a chance to win a VIP precision shooting course at the Vortex Edge Training Center in Wisconsin, an exclusive e-bike ride with yours truly and the entire Baku uh, family. We're going to pick you up, bring you to North Idaho. I'm going to take you on a couple of epic e-bike rides, stay at my cabin, should be good times. That'll be in 22. And then uh, maybe you'll win the Alaska bear hunt with me and Hunting Fool, you and a friend. It's in May. A lot of bears are going to die. A lot of fish is going to be caught. And uh, hopefully I'll be taking somebody and their friend, and it's going to be a great time. And the last giveaway for just the pre-sellers is a hunt with the Elk Shape crew in Texas for pigs, turkey, axis, 
uh, low fence and high fence opportunities, plus a NUMA gear package, which is out of this world. So get signed up for Elk Shape Camp 2022. Go to elkshape.com. You can click on the links. It's in the store. and Get your pass. It's limited spots. There's camping at the Oregon one and the Texas one. The other two, we're doing hotel blocks. Get your travel locked in. We're only doing four locations, Utah, Oregon, Wisconsin, and Texas. Wilderness Athlete, good time of year. Load up, hydrate, recover, energy, focus, discount code, Elkshape30, save 30%. Sheep Feet, Sheep Feet finally got me a discount code. Not sponsored. I just asked them for a discount code. It's 10% off. Use the discount code Elkshape for those that have messaged me. Yes, I really think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I just take those Sheep Feet insoles and put them into all my boots. So... I don't know why you wouldn't do it. Everything starts from the ground up. Speaking of boots, Crispy USA, get them at Black Ovis. Already gave you the discount code for that. Um, Brickstalls, Colorado's my two favorites. Uh, if you had, if I had to pick, it'd probably be the Brickstalls. That's probably what I'm going to use the most until the weather changes, and then I'll graduate over to the Crispy Guides. Vortex Wear, uh, you'll see me wearing that on a lot of our YouTube videos, and when I'm working out, uh, discount code is Elk Shape saves twenty percent when you do that. Elk Collective. Dot com use discount code elk shape podcast save $25 off the world's most vast virtual digital elk hunting course the biggest library vault from multiple subject matter experts learn from many not just one northwest retention systems out of washington state they make the scout the chest holster that's what i put my glock my 44 mag in slide it underneath the bino harness little bear spray keep your family safe Add a little confidence when you're hiking out in the dark. Use discount code Elkshape. Save 10%. No shipping and handling. Stowaway Gourmet. I still have the same code. It's 10% off. Use the discount code Elk10. Save 10%. I think their food's very delicious. I don't have a relationship with them. I just got a discount code for y'all. Spy Point Cameras. I'm running, like I mentioned, on, on this podcast. The LTE, like the little micros. I got about six of them. And I just got a text picture while recording this outro. It's ridiculous. So they are working really well. The app's super user-friendly. Their prices, I think, are super affordable. Check it out. Buck Knives, Legendary Knives. Uh, I am a huge fan of Buck Knives. They are 20 minutes away from my house. I've done factory tours. I've podcasted with CJ Buck. Look that one up. I think that's season two. Uh, Buck Knives, you got everyday carriers. You got your skinny knives. You got your honey knives. Check them out. I don't have a discount code. I just think they're badass. You probably do too, so check it out. Uh, that's what I got for you guys today. You have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for picking this one. Hunting season's just around the corner. Hope all your ducks in a row. Don't squander a second. Give every day everything you had and then some. Best of luck to you guys. And if you're listening to this while you're driving to Elk Camp, I'm so stoked for you.